Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. For those that may be visiting here, my name is Paul Crow. I serve as a deacon here at West Hill Baptist Church. I am an ordained Southern Baptist minister, served on staff in Florida, pastor of church in West Virginia. I'm honored and humbled to be able to share the word with you. Last week, or a few weeks, several weeks back, like always, we are going to begin this morning with a moment of silence, silent prayer as we silently lift up our brothers and sisters here in the church. We don't know the burdens that everybody carries and we don't know the trials that everyone is going through, but we can pray for one another. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father God, thank you for so many of the blessings, Lord, and even the trials that you allow in our lives. Thank you for loving us, for sending your son. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for loving us when we are unlovable. Thank you for our brothers and sisters that you surround us with. Help us, Lord, to be an encouragement one to another, to show love one to another as you have loved us. Help us to be that image of Christ to our brothers and sisters and to the lost. Thank you. And may your name forever be praised. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Sola. Ray, can you put up the slide from the first song that we sang today, the chorus? Blessing and honor, glory and power be unto your name, O Lord. Blessing and honor, glory and power be unto your name. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Ray. Today we talk about soli deo gloria. To the glory of God alone. I was thinking as we were singing this morning. When we sing, and, and, and singing is just another form of worship out of so many forms. But when we sing... And when our hearts are echoing the words that we're singing, we bring glory to God. It is true worship. It's not the same as singing a song when we're in the car listening to the radio. It's not the same as singing in the shower. When our hearts mirror 
these words. When we are truly, as John Piper would say, satisfied in Christ and utterly and totally surrendered to Christ, that brings honor to God. That brings glory to God. 505 years ago this October, a man named Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg and started what we commonly refer to as the Protestant Reformation. We have talked about, over four weeks, we have talked about sola scriptura, the Bible alone, is the basis of our faith. We've talked about sola gratia, in grace alone. We are saved by grace alone, which is the unmerited favor. Something we did not earn, something we can never earn. Something that in our sinful and fallen state, we can't even ask for. But it is unearned, unmerited favor of God. Why? Because he loved us. Because God made a choice. He chose you. We're saved through faith alone. Sola fide. Again, not by any good works that we have or could ever do. Sola fide. Faith alone. And it's not faith just in faith. It's faith, faith in a person. It's faith in Jesus. The one who died. And believing in Jesus is putting that faith into action. We are saved in Christ alone. Solas Christos. Christ is our only hope, our only Savior, and the only mediator between God and man. We were dead in our sins, defiant in our souls, and we were doomed to hell. But his death on the cross to pay my sins, his perfect life allowed him to exchange his righteousness for my sin. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. He made the one. God made Christ who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ was the last prophet. He was the last high priest. He was the Lord of lords, and he was the King of kings. But why? Why did God do all of this? He did it. For his own glory. Do you believe that? For his own glory. If we believe that somehow we can contribute anything to our salvation, we are literally trying to rob God of his own glory. Jonathan Edwards put it quite plainly. Plainly, I'm sorry. The only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made that salvation necessary. 
Today we are going to spend time in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. As you turn there, I want to talk about the word in the Bible that is translated as glory. The root of that word has a connotation of weightiness, heaviness, depth, and sovereignty. The Greek word is doxa. That's where we get our word doxology. It speaks of honor, splendor, magnificence, preeminence, grace, having importance, significance, and dignity. The Hebrew word used in the Old Testament is kabaud. It speaks to abundance and riches and honor and glory, reputation and reverence. John Piper defines God's glory this way. Outward radiance of the intrinsic worth and beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. Anybody ever heard of Johann Sebastian Bach? Anybody at all? No? Nobody's ever heard of him? Wow. They're not teaching things in school the way they used to. He said that all music should have no other end and aim other than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Were where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. I did not know the word hubbub existed in the 1600s, but if you look it up, it was coined in the 1500s. Anybody know what it means? Anybody? I had to look it up. Confused noise. So what Johann is saying is that if music is not aimed at revealing the glory of God and refreshing our soul, then all it is is confused noise. That was his opinion. And when we think about our singing in worship, and when you're singing in the car to Christian music, When we are singing, like I said earlier, if our hearts don't match the words that are coming out of our mouth, it is confused noise. It is hubbub. And it certainly does not glorify God. But when our hearts do reflect those words, when those words are an echo of our very desire and passion to kneel and to serve God, then it is exactly what he was saying. It is to reveal the glory of God and refresh our souls in God. It brings glory to God. He would start his compositions with the letters JJ. In Latin, it means Jesus Juva. And that means... Jesus, help me. He would end his compositions with SDG, Soli de Gratia. To God alone be the praise. In Isaiah chapter, chapter 6, verse 3, when he stands before God, the angels sing, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. And in Psalm 19.1, we read where creation, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky itself proclaims the work of his hands. I've heard a lot of people say over the years, why, and this is usually an argument they try to have for the non-existence of God, but why would God create such an expansive universe with stars that cannot be counted, planets and galaxies and solar systems of imaginable magnitude? Why would he do that? Why would he do that and put people on only one planet? Why? My opinion? He put us on this small speck in space so that we could look out and observe the glory of God. The unimaginable, mind-blowing <laughs> significance of God. Thank you. When, when, when we lived in Florida where there wasn't any lights, you could go out in the yard and you could look up and it was canvassed in stars. I don't know about you, but when I'm outside, I pray better. I don't know what it is, but it's almost like I'm closer to God in God's creation. We were on vacation years ago out west, and I don't even remember the state we were in. The kids were arguing, and they were fighting, and I had about had my fill of it. And we got to a state park, and we wanted to set up camp, and it was late at night, and it was getting dark. And I said, you know what? You guys are going to set up the tent. I don't care how long it takes. You're going to work together. I turned on the lights of the car and they set up the tent by the headlights. I say that really has nothing to do with what I'm about to say, but we were on a plateau in the middle of nowhere with the heavens wide open and the glory of God all about. That's why God made creation. It reveals his glory to us. John Calvin, I hope everybody sort of heard of him. John Calvin once said that the glory, no, sorry, the universe is God's glory theater. We are created for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says that I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone called by my name and created for my glory. I have formed him. Indeed, I have made him. Now, I know that this passage talks about the nation of Israel. And it talks about bringing them back together. But the point is, 
everyone called by my name and created for my glory. I have formed him. Indeed, I have made him. Tony Evans references this passage and he says, God is invisible and the Bible says no man has seen God at any time. True. The word glory describes God's invisible attributes made visible to us. The air is thick with his presence. He is everywhere, but our eyes cannot see him. So he must make himself visible. And that process is revealed to us as God's glory. The word glory comes from the root word, like I said, heaviness, weightiness. God is called glorious. It's a reference to him being the weightiest, heaviest, deepest thing being in the universe. The heaviest, the weightiest, the deepest being in the universe. God's glory is intrinsic. Whether you recognize it or not, he is glorious just because of who he is. Although we glorify him in many ways, it cannot add to his glory. He is glory. But we do it to glorify him. There are two created things that do not recognize God's glory. Satan and the fallen angels. Mankind. People tend to believe that life is all about them. But God tells us that he created us for his glory and not our own. He chose us. The first Corinthian church was a mess. It was fighting and gossip, and sexual misconduct. It was tolerated, and at times it was even celebrated. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. Paul wrote two letters to the church to try to sort all this out. But this is what we're going to look at. Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth, but instead God has chosen the world's foolish things to shame the wise, and God has chosen the world's weak. God has chosen the world's weak things to shame the strong. God has chosen the world's insignificant and despised things, the things viewed as nothing. Why? So that he might bring to nothing the things that are viewed as something so that no one else can boast in his presence, but from him, you are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to stop right there. God chose you for his glory. It's only because of him that we can be found in Christ. Only because of him. In our sinful nature, we are absolutely incapable of choosing or reaching out to God on our own. Did you know that? In a lost world, the people that are trying to live a good life because it's the right thing to do doesn't mean anything. We can't reach out. We can't rebuild that bridge by ourselves. God is sovereign. He is in supreme dominion. And without the inspiration of God's spirit in our lives, we can't choose him. It's that inspiration of the spirit. God initiates it. 
when the Spirit stirs our heart, when He hums, strums those strings. Chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians is full of this evidence of His calling. In verse 1, Paul was called by the will of God. In verse 2, God's church at Corinth to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called as his saints. Verse 9, God is faithful. By him you are called into fellowship with his sons. In verses 26 through 28 that we read, consider your calling. God has chosen the world's foolish things. God has chosen the world's weak things. God has chosen the world's insignificant so that he might bring to nothing the things that are viewed as something. When we look at Israel, God's chosen people, and I'm not trying to link us together. But when we look at the basis of God choosing Israel in Deuteronomy 7, we see you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord was devoted to you and chose you, not because you are more numerous, for you are the fewest but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers. Peter goes on to write in the New Testament in 1 Peter 2.9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness in his marvelous light. You are chosen so that you may proclaim what God has done in your life, and thus bring glory to God. Our proclamations bring glory to God. Our testimony of the evidence of God's working in our life, in small things, in big things, and certainly through the gift of salvation, when we proclaim that, we give glory to God. He didn't choose us because we were worthy. And he certainly didn't choose us because we had any potential. Because man, when I look at myself, I don't know what he saw. But God had a plan. The Bible tells us that he chose us before the foundation of the world. Simply because of love and grace. The fact that God chose to love us. Try to picture this with me, because when I think about it, back to that mind-blowing emoji, I'm just blown away. Before anything was ever created, before the foundations of the earth were laid in place, God had a plan. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God created in the heavens of the earth? Do you believe that God knew that he had foreknowledge? He knew that Satan would rebel. Did you know that? Do you believe that God knew Adam and Eve would fall? Do you believe that God had a plan in place 
for our salvation and redemption and rebuilding the bridge of relationship between mankind and God before it was ever even needed. Did you, do you believe it? I'm glad. Because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we read of that plan. We talked about it before. The first mention of the gospel in the Bible. Where it says that he will bruise your heel and he will crush your head. That plan of redemption was there. Why? Because we were created for his glory and he loved us and he chose to offer us salvation. Because he didn't have to. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose you and he calls to you. My question is, do you hear him? Don't be like me. For 17 years, I ran from God. I called him everything in the book I can think of. He wasn't worthy of my attention. He wasn't worthy of my praise. When I dealt with cancer, there was a period of time where we used to have pews. And I sat in the third pew right there. And when we would sing praises to God, I would stand there and I would clench my teeth. And I would refuse to praise God. Why would he do this to me? Why would he let this happen? My mind and my heart reverted back to a stage in my life where I was just angry. I was like a man standing on the edge of the cliff. Right here with my back ready to fall off. And God standing there holding my shirt. And I am doing everything in the world I possibly could to tear myself away and throw myself off that cliff. But you know what? God held on. Give me a second. Don't be like that. Listen for that voice because he is calling you. He's chosen you. He's calling to you. Through his spirit, he is speaking to you. Don't ignore it. And certainly tune your heart to him. Does anybody remember the old camp, campground song, Turn Your Radio On? used to be an old, uh, I grew up in the Nazarene church. Maybe Baptists don't sing that. But it, it, turn your radio on. Turn your hearts to God's station so you can hear him calling you. Because you are chosen. In 1 Corinthians 1, 21 through 25, the five verses prior to our passage today. And I think it will be on the screen. Paul says that, For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. For the Jews asked for signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Wisdom. 
but we preach Christ crucified. God was pleased to save those who believed through the foolishness of the message preached. And the message preached was Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. God is glorified through Christ upon the cross. God had it all planned out. Not only Jesus' coming, but his suffering was prophesied in the Old Testament. There's a passage known as the suffering servant. I'm not going to read it. It's in Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, if you want to look it up. But part of that says, the Lord was pleased to crush him. Speaking of his only son. John Gill was a controversial Baptist theologian long time ago. And he said, the sufferings of Christ are signified by his being bruised as it was foretold he should have his heel bruised by the serpent. Remember, we talked about that. But here in Isaiah, it's ascribed to the Lord. He was bruised in body when buffeted and scourged and nailed to the cross. And he was bruised and broken in spirit when the sins of his people were laid upon him. And the wrath of God came upon him for them. The Lord had a hand in his sufferings. Hear me. He not only permitted them, but they were according to the counsel of his will. They were predetermined by him. They were pleasing to him, not the kind of delight and pleasure in the sufferings themselves, but as they were an accomplishment of his purpose, a fulfillment of his covenant and promises, and the prophecies in his word, and particularly the salvation of his people. It's a hard concept for some people to wrap their head around, but God was pleased in a manner in the crucifixion of Christ because ultimately it was part of his plan of salvation and his will to bring about our redemption. The gospel, God gets the glory through the salvation of sinners, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is is the gospel. Let's look at verse 30 again. But from him you are in Christ Jesus, who for us became wisdom from God, as well as righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Three very important words. Erwin Lutzer outlines it this way. Righteousness is the language of the law court. Because of Jesus' perfect life and sacrificial death, he was the only one who ever, I'm sorry, he was the only one ever who didn't deserve to go to hell. But in what Martin Luther called the great exchange, Jesus' righteousness was deposited into our account and he took our sins. If you're in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees Christ. You are veiled with that righteousness. 
Sanctification is the language of the temple. To be sanctified means to be set apart, to be made holy. That was done at the temple through the shedding of blood of an animal. But Jesus was the Lamb of God, whose blood cleanses us from our defilement of our sins. If you are in Christ, you are washed clean. Redemption is the language of the slave market. Jesus went into the slave market and paid the price to redeem us, to rescue us, to ransom us. His blood on the Christ purchased our salvation. We're no longer slaves to sin. We have a new master. And that master is Christ. And we have freedom in Jesus. The fulfillment of God's prophecy and word that brings glory to God. So, you're chosen. God is glorified through the sufferings and sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Thirdly, God gets all the glory. Verse 31. In order that, as it is written, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. In order that, some translations might say, therefore. And of course, everybody's heard. If it says, therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? So, in order that, what was done so that the one that boasts must boast in the Lord? What was done? Since God is sovereign and chooses to offer salvation apart from anything that we had done, since Jesus secured our salvation on the Christ cross, let him who boasts boast to the Lord. The word boast is kaukaomahi. Kaukaomahi. It means to glory in a thing. To brag or to give praise. That's what we did this morning. We brought glory to God. Paul clearly shows that the Corinthians have absolutely nothing to brag about in their church with the corruption that existed. But since Jesus secured our salvation on the cross, let us boast. Their praise was self-focused. Their praise was attentive to only their desires. Paul is calling them to give glory to God in God's name. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. I will not give away my glory. You know, God's jealous. He's jealous of you, but he's also jealous of himself. He will not share his glory with anyone. You guys remember, I, I, I couldn't tell you where it is in the Old Testament. Somebody here probably could. But um, somebody took the, uh, 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 the ark from the temple and took it back to their kingdom and put it in one of their temples to a foreign god. And then when they went into that temple the next day, that statue and that idol was face down on the ground in front of the ark. Anybody remember that story? I probably don't tell it as well as the Bible does, but that statue fell because 
God does not share his glory. The first question of the Westminster Catechism is this. What is the chief and highest end of man? Remember, I think it was last week we talked about what uh, the web said was the most important things to, to, to mankind. And it talked about uh, the necessity. Ooh, that's almost like aluminum. No, no, no. The necessity of having something to do. It actually talked about having a hobby was an important need of mankind. And we talked about how, no, the most important thing mankind needs is Jesus. Here, the chief and highest end of man is to glorify God. To glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. Do you enjoy God? I don't expect you to answer that. I know what my answer is, not all the time. Do you enjoy God? We should. Paul tells the Corinthians later on in, in 1 Corinthians, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Do what honors God. Don't do what dishonors him. Sounds easy. Do everything to the honor of God. But it's not. And that's because of sin. God gets the glory when we acknowledge his grace, his love, his kindness, his mercy. He gets all the glory when we live our lives in a manner that reflects him. Long time ago, I stood up here, and I'm, honestly, I don't remember what I was preaching about. But I said, and, and I truly, truly believe this, that if you are living your life for God, and it's going good, and it's going easy, and the world accepts you for what you are, you should probably look in the mirror. Because the Bible tells us the world is going to hate us because they hated Jesus first. The Bible tells us to expect persecutions because Christ was persecuted. And we should be honored to share in the sufferings and the persecutions of Christ. That's not me. That's God's word. There comes a time in everyone's life, myself included, where we need to take a look in our spiritual mirror. And see exactly what we look like. Because if the world accepts us, we don't look like Christ. And when we don't look like Christ, we don't glorify Christ. And the things that we do and the things that we think and the things that we say do not bring glory to his name. I had to look up illustrations. I don't even remember this guy. I remember the movie, but I never saw it. But Eric Lytle, anybody know that name? He was a famous Olympian who refused to run on Sundays. And he was the object of the film Chariots of Fire. During those Olympic Games and after those Olympic Games, he literally captured the heart 
of the United Kingdom. He was literally almost worshipped. He could have done anything. But instead of capitalizing on his fame, you know what he did? He moved to China to be a missionary. And he died in China in 1945, ministering to the poor and the sick and the needy. John Piper says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Why? Because when we're most satisfied in him, we are most utterly surrendered. Do you have to go to China and be a missionary to bring glory to God? No, absolutely not. Remember, Paul said, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. So the question isn't, is this a good or a bad idea? But is what I'm doing going to bring glory to God? Can I do this job to the glory of God? Can I go to this place and do these things to the glory of God? Can I date or marry this person to the glory of God? How do we give God all the glory? By acknowledging alone that he is worthy of all glory and living a life that is a reflection of that. Scripture alone tells us that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of an almighty God alone. Alone. Probably the greatest act would be the sending of his son to die on the cross. And the shedding of that blood to die in our place. In a moment, we're going to be taking part in communion. Before we do, there's just a couple of things that I want to say. We practice open communion here. If you're visiting with us and you have and know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are more than welcome to join us in communion. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you are tentative to the Spirit if he is tugging at your heart. But if you don't have a relationship, please do not participate. Because we read in 1 Corinthians, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself in this way and should eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. Not my words. God's. We're going to take a moment. Events is going to play. It's going to give us an opportunity to reflect. To let the Spirit speak to you. He chose you. Listen to Him. If there's anything right now in your hearts that shouldn't be there, fix it. God's listening. And God's speaking. Are you listening?